a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 55, Ben's Bullpen Bulletin, covering the odds and ends of cover date April 1978 in Marvel Comics. Hello, time travelers. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I am here to wrap up my coverage of the Marvel-licensed sci-fi comics that appeared with a cover date of April 1978, and that appeared on the stands in January of 1978. So this uh, segment of Ben's Bullpen Bulletin is going to be a little bit different than normal in, in that I'm not just going to be looking at the ads and the editorial material, although I, w- I will be looking at the ads and the editorial material. But there's also three actual comic book issues that are related to the licensed material that Marvel was doing, but that weren't actually licensed. These are Marvel comics that are Marvel's comics. And the relation for one of them is a little bit more tenuous, but it's my podcast, so I, I guess I can do what I want. The other two are tied in a little more directly to some things that we've already been talking about in previous episodes of this podcast feed. So first, I am going to look at the at the ads, and, and there's some good ones. There's some good ads, uh, but they're not great. <laughs> I mean, there's there's uh, a handful of the the flea market ads, as I call them, and, and I don't know if anyone else calls them that. If they do... Uh, I'm sorry for stealing that, but if, well, or maybe they stole it from me, who who knows? But there's one here that's an electronic lie and love detector. Solid state electronic device registers emotions, feelings, reactions, tests lovers, friends, relatives for lies and compatibility. Uh, there's also Star Trek Vulcan ears. Uh, the picture looks like a just a very uh, grumpy... Green Goblin, Hercules wristband. That looks kind of cool. It's got some studs on it. Uh, I would have been interested in that as a little scrawny eight-year-old. For some reason, I I felt like those kind of things just made you look tougher, even if you're a little scrawny eight-year-old. There's rubber gorilla hands and feet, those kind of things that you'd expect to see in these flea market pages. There's also uh, sea monkeys, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew t-shirts, more uh, Slim Jim, a little less than a meal, a little more than a snack. It's the vampire one. Uh, another flea market page. You can make money with grit, which we've talked about. Just how that's kind of a a scheme that I really am, was interested in as a kid. And now I look back at it and think, I would have never made any money because I've been trying to sell that thing. And I didn't really know who to sell to. I didn't know many people who would buy that stuff. There's a full page ad for Star Wars merchandise. There's a Star Wars portfolio that contains 21 color paintings, each one suitable for framing. That looks really interesting. 
uh, I really, I don't even see the paintings, but I, I'm imagining what they could be. And I mean, were they Ralph Macquarie kind of things or, or what? There's a candy bar ad, get strong arms. There's more flea market stuff. There's uh, superheroes assemble ad is uh, that's what it says at the top, but it's a, a subscription page. <laughs> it has Thor, Captain America, Spider-Man, Hulk, Daredevil, uh, Human Torch, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, Howard the Duck, and Conan, and they're all just ready to leap into action, except for Conan, who's kind of looking off to the side and ready to swing his sword, not at something that's coming at him, like the other guys. Uh, oh, and then there is <laughs> Captain Marvel, who's looking off to the other direction. It's a, he's, a, he's actually, it looks like he's looking at the flea market page at this guy who's asking, you want to gain weight in seven days? My method of dynamic tension starts giving you results. You can start feeling... Uh, you're adding pounds of big muscle. Lose that pot belly. But then Captain America says, there is no reason. And Spider-Man says, to miss your favorite. And Hulk says, Marvel mags. And Daredevil says, so subscribe. And Human Torch says, and remember, they're all mailed flat. And Conan gives that caveat. True believers only. And yeah, this man, I, I look at something like this. 12 issues for 450 now, mind you, these were all 35 cent issues, but uh, the flea market page and you can get a flat belly. And there's the Marvel bullpen bulletins, which uh, the segment gets its name from. There's that ad again with Obi-Wan Kenobi standing behind a stormtrooper who's looking at a, a pretty sweet poster for the Star Wars movie. And he's tapping his shoulder holding his lightsaber as if to say, uh, excuse me, Mr. Stormtrooper, may I have that poster? And if the Stormtrooper were to say no, that lightsaber is going to get used. Luke Skywalker is wearing a Star Wars t-shirt and Princess Leia has a Star Wars tote bag, it looks like. And Han Solo is wearing a Star Wars hat. So, yeah. And then make money, get prizes with fast-selling American seeds. Again, <laughs> I wish because they have like the testimonials of these these kids. That's very tiny print. But uh, Kathy Cooper says, I can feel confident on telling people how well they grow over garden shows or our garden shows us each year. And it's just these are kids who earn things like a bike speedometer. Or a cassette tape recorder or a croquet set or a nylon mountain tent or a Polaroid clincher. I assume that's a, a camera. Uh, so, yeah, so those are the, the ads. Now, the bullpen bulletin that uh, they're announcing how to draw comics the Marvel way. Wow, that's so cool. And then they're also introducing an item. Now, there's lots of things they're introducing in here, but this item says, you know, one of our favorite TV shows was Star Trek. And one of our biggest disappointments was that the rights to do a show to do the show as a comic book series have always been tied up. Still, we've had the itch to do non-superhero oriented sci-fi strip. And even our sensational Star Wars book hasn't totally satisfied it. In fact, judging from the cards and letters we're getting, Star Wars success has sparked a demand for more. So we've set Devil May Care, Doug Munch, and Titanic Tom Sutton to do work on a science fiction special for Marvel premiere number 41. It's called Seeker 3000 and introduces a set of characters forced to depart a doomed earth and find new salvation for humankind in the stars. 
We think it's out of the ordinary comics fair, and we're more than just a bit excited about it. So set aside the necessary 35 cents. It's due your way this January. We're betting you'll find it money well spent. Well, that's the question. Is it money well spent? And I wanted to, you know, check this out. And honestly, this, I was, I found it and I wouldn't have covered this if I hadn't found it at a convention and actually held it in my hands and then realized this fits within the time frame, and then realized it's so close to the beginning, but they definitely were trying to capitalize on the, the science fiction success that Star Wars had been with their own Marvel owned comic Seeker 3000. Now, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, uh, which is pretty much the, my prime source of information about release dates and that sort of thing, this was on sale January 24th, 1978. Uh, like I said before, it, it was 35 cents, but uh, there's a couple extra pages of story, at least one or two extra pages of story because there's no letters page in here. And uh, so it's it's a pilot episode, really. And it, you, you know, the Marvel premiere was a, a, a series that they would use to introduce new concepts, maybe give them a couple issues. In this case, they gave that they gave it one and apparently didn't get enough reaction from the readers to actually go beyond that. Now, years and years later, I mean, we're talking maybe now 10 years ago from when this episode of this podcast is being released, but, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later from when it was released in 1978, they did do and they did start a, an actual series of Seeker 3000. I think it went four issues. I don't have those. I've been curious about them, but not curious enough to spend any money on it, uh, at least not through like Mile High Comics or, or my comic shop, like the, the normal places that I would go to for that kind of thing. Instead, I've just been waiting to see if I see it on the shelf somewhere at a comic shop or I guess not in the shelf, but in the in the back issue bins. But this comic is a pilot episode and it reads like a pilot episode and it reads like a, a decent pilot episode. It has all the elements for great sci-fi TV. All the elements except for one, okay? But it has sci-fi concepts. There, is, there are telepathic characters. There's cloning. There's faster-than-light travel. There's apocalypse, that, that doomed Earth that was mentioned in the blurb. It happens here. There's cool technology. The ship design is really neat. I really liked it. Uh, there's exciting um, plans, and there's exciting battles and, and all that. There's some twists and some turns in the plot. The thing it's missing is characters. The characters are angry. They're unlikable. They're dry. Uh, they, they start out. I mean, our our main character. They start out rebelling against kind of basically the, the the evil empire, but they start out very angry about what the evil empire is doing, and it's very hard to to figure out what's going on at first. And the the closest thing to any real depth comes from some bad science of cloning <laughs> and and then a, a big twist that comes at the end uh, with an emotional appeal and, and what they're trying, what, what the bad guy was trying to do when he gives a, an emotional appeal to the, the good guys to try and convince them to do something. But the, the bad science from the cloning is that they are carrying cells in the ship to clone all the best of the best from earth to start a new civilization great idea except 
they're kind of approaching it as if they'll still have their memories and they'll still be the people when, when the clones are grown, they'll still be the people that they were before. And that just kind of, well, from what we know about cloning, I mean, maybe it is the future. What is the year? The 3000, but it's, it's a great mashup of star Wars and star Trek. It has a clever hook and there's a big, huge twist at the end that sets up the series that sets up what's going to make this not just a Star Trek. They're going to be flying around through space looking for a new home, which is, I mean, Star Trek wasn't doing that, but they're, they're, they're looking for a new home. And as they're looking for a new home, uh, the main bad guy is able to kind of latch on to them in a really interesting way that I wish they could have had a chance to explore later on. I just also would have liked some some more characterization. But again, you know, we're talking what an 18 page story here and they do a pretty good job of telling a, a good opening story of a sci fi world, exploring what the world can do and 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 the, you know, how fast and light travel works for them and uh, giving them a, a goal to go after. But the end, and I'm going to spoil it right now. And and the only reason I'm, I'm saying that, I mean, this is a very, very old comic book, obviously, almost what, 40 years old. But the reason I'm saying that is if you did get a chance to get this, you maybe wouldn't want this spoiled. And so I, I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to say, you know, uh, skip ahead 30 seconds if you can, because the bad guy, here's the spoiler. So skip ahead now. The bad guy downloads himself into the mainframe of the ship. So he's always with them. This is really neat. And it's a way to have like a, a Dr. Smith from Lost in Space without completely copying Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. So Seeker 3000, definitely to capitalize upon Star Wars, but not totally do a carbon copy of Star Wars. They did a pretty good job of it. And they, like I said, nice mashup of Star Wars and Star Trek. And the ship design, definitely, you can tell. They're, they're looking for a Star Trek vibe. But it also has a retro feel that doesn't totally go along with what you know the Star Trek uh, models looked like in the, in the TV show. So, from Seeker Three Thousand, we're going to move on to uh, the Jack Kirby stuff. Now, for people interested in sci-fi and and comics and Star Wars and that kind of thing, uh, there was a, a number of other things that you could, might be interested in. First of all, there was the St- uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, which uh, actually says on the cover. Uh, fighting to save Earth from Star Warriors. I mean, they're they're definitely capitalizing on the whole, you know, space craze and sci-fi craze. And then Howard the Duck uh, this month. The Howard the Duck issue is the one that has the cover that parodies Star Wars. And you have uh, Howard kind of taking the place of of Luke, and uh, Man Thing is kind of back there taking the place of of Chewbacca. And it's it's a a nice. Uh, uh, homage, I guess it's it's one of my favorite issues of of that series. It's actually the the story itself is called Star <laughs> So I and I do I I admit I I love Howard the Duck, I love Man Thing, and I love uh, Steve Gerber. And this is a nice mixture of all those in the context of a a space opera. And, and there were other things as well. Uh, Gold Gold Key had uh, issue fifty one of their Star Trek series that. Marvel couldn't touch uh, that was that came out this month as well January of 1978 
but the Jack Kirby stuff. And, and the reason I bring it up and, and want to talk about it is because these sprung out of one literally and one, I'm going to say spiritually sprung out of the 2001 comics that Jack Kirby was doing. And that's why I wanted to read these. I wanted to cover these. And again, that same convention where I found that Seeker 3000 comic, I started finding as I was looking for back issues of, of some of the things I needed to fill in uh, the gaps for this, this series, I started to find uh, Machine Man comics. And I thought, you know what? I should just go for it with Machine Man. I'm going to try and get them all. All the ones that Jack Kirby did anyway. I'm not going to go any further than that with this coverage. And so in Ben's Bullpen Bulletin, I'm going to be covering Machine Man and the other comic that was coming out at the same time. That's the spiritual um, spiritual child, star child, I guess, uh, of, of 2001. And that's Devil Dinosaur. And Devil Dinosaur, I have a, an omnibus. And I'm just going to go as far as Jack Kirby's work on Machine Man went. And I'm going to go until... Uh, Devil Dinosaur is canceled. Um, and I think they both end on, on issue 10 or something like that. But I, I wanted to cover these because they do. They spring right out of his mind uh, and kind of out of what he was doing with 2001, A Space Odyssey. And so for Devil Dinosaur, like I said, though, that is more of a spiritual thing. It's actually what if Jack Kirby's uh, prehistoric stories from 2001 were a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> um, and, and actually that's pretty literal. Uh, uh, Jack Kirby had left Marvel, went to DC, created a whole bunch of the, that fourth world stuff, but he also created Commandy, the last boy on earth. Commandy was inspired by planet of the apes and it, it, it was Jack Kirby doing Jack Kirby stuff. And some of that commandy stuff actually could be seen in his 2001 material that he was doing. But 2001, they, they canceled it be, mainly because at the end of the 2001 run, as we covered earlier in this podcast, uh, he created a character called Mr. Machine. Well, Mr. Machine Actually, then the same month that Devil Dinosaur issue one came out, Mr. Machine got his own title, which was Machine Man. Meanwhile, this Devil Dinosaur seemed to kind of come out of that same place as well. Now, at that time, the way that Tom Brevert relates it in his introduction to the, the omnibus that I have. He says, uh, at that time, Marvel had begun making inroads into the world of television and only be a few short years before a full-fledged Marvel animation studio would be founded. So having learned that Commandy was in development for Saturday morning, someone at Marvel, Stan Lee possibly, hit upon the idea of having Jack develop a Commandy-like property for Marvel. Even if it wasn't a big seller as a comic book, it might be worthwhile venture as a cartoon. Kirby, it seems, was game, although he had never been fond of repeating himself. His imagination was too far wandering to be limited to producing jazz riffs on story he's, stories he'd already told. So in answer to this challenge, he chose to produce a series with the same straightforward appeal that had characterized his commandy work. But rather than being set in the near future, he would chronicle events in the distant past. His protagonist would be a massive red dinosaur aided and abetted by a young ape man. It would be a prehistoric story about a boy and his dog as they encountered monsters, aliens, witches, and demons. It wasn't especially deep, but it was fun. Devil Dinosaur never did make its way into the world of animation, but Jack Kirby did, 
At the same time he was producing the series, he was also called upon to draw storyboards for a Fantastic Four cartoon then in production. And so the story here, it is, it's a simple story. It's the story. I like the way they put it, the, the story of a, a boy and his dog, but it's a, a boy, and his great, big, giant, massive, mean uh, dinosaur. And this is Jack Kirby at his best. I, I enjoyed reading it. This felt of a kind with all of the prehistoric stuff from 2001. There's powerful line work. There's muscular art. There's bombastic dialogue. After Devil Dinosaur chases away a Triceratops, <laughs> here's Moonboy's dialogue. Thunderhorn is gone. Devil is master of the valley. He is the mightiest of beasts. Who is happier than Moonboy when his giant brother conquers his enemies? There is safety in his shadow and food where he trods. Come, Devil. It will soon be night. Let us find shelter and listen to the wood spirits. They will shout your name to all who dwell in the valley. And the dialogue goes on like that. It's bombastic. It's big. It's broad. This issue is an origin story. And basically, Devil Dinosaur loses his family to a tribe of mean, evil cavemen. And Moon Boy loses his family because he goes and rescues Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur had fallen into a fire and that's what makes him all red and moon boy meets him and everyone's scared of, of devil dinosaur. And then we go to the present we find out that the killer folk plan to kill the, the nice guys. <laughs> the, and then they're also setting a trap for devil dinosaur. And, and that's the cliffhanger ending is, is devil dinosaur and moon boy are about to jump into this trap of a hole with a bunch of pointed sticks in them. And it's just it's it's a simplistic storytelling. It's a mythological storytelling. It uh, it it reads like a a violent Saturday morning cartoon, <laughs> and I liked it. Uh, I like Devil Dinosaur in general. I've read through this omnibus uh, once before, and I'm happy to read through it again. Uh, there's some stories I remember being there's remember I remember there being some weird stories with some kind of Adam and Eve type tropes going on. There was some sort of weird insect thing going on. And there's this kind of time traveling witch kind of thing going on. And uh, another reason why I, I want to cover Devil Dinosaur is that uh, later on in the Godzilla comic, after Devil Dinosaur was canceled, I believe, I, I don't know. We'll find out when we get there with the timeline. But uh, Godzilla either gets sent into the past or Devil Dinosaur gets brought into the future. But... Uh, Godzilla meets Devil Dinosaur and, and Moon Boy. And so, you know, there, there's a good reason here to to find out more about Devil Dinosaur. And so I, I won't be spending as much time in future installments, but we'll definitely be checking in again with Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur. So issue number one of, of uh, Devil Dinosaur was January 17, 1978. Uh, the next week, January 24th, 1978, Machine Man hit. Now, Machine Man, I was able to gather almost all the issues while I was at that convention. Issue number one, I will not be able to gather it. I don't know how rare it is or what, but it was a more expensive uh, issue to, to try and get. However, I did find a reprint of this. It was reprinted in Marvel Milestones, uh, which the issue that it was reprinted in 
kind of focused in on uh, Bloodstone. It had an issue of Bloodstone in a more modern issue, and then had a, had a two stories of Bloodstone from uh, 1975. Amazing Spider Annual number, Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16 is also in there. That has, you know, that's from 1982, but it has Captain Marvel, and that's actually the Captain Marvel that I remember. It's the woman Captain Marvel that I had. That uh, they did a first issue of of that. I don't know if they continued with her series. But I really found it fascinating that here's this Captain Marvel. And for me, I didn't realize when I was buying it off the newsstand that Captain Marvel was actually a character uh, that had had a couple different variants on that name in Marvel Comics. For me, it was weird because Captain Marvel was a woman in Marvel Comics who shared a name with a man in DC Comics. I didn't know about all of the the trademark and and all that kind of stuff that was going on. But here, Machine Man. Uh, This, again, like I said, January, so it's a 35-cent cover date or cover price, and then the cover date is that April 1978. And it picks up kind of where 2001 left off, but it picks up in such a way that really, if you didn't know what was going on, you didn't need to. There is that box at the top that they had started doing where it says, this is the story of X-51, a thinking computer in the form of a man. As Aaron Stack, he tries to find a place in a world that's not quite ready for his kind, but will he find it as a friend, foe, or the greatest hero of them all? Stan Lee presents The Adventures of the Robot with a Soul. Machine Man. And the story starts with him rescuing a guy who's falling off a cliff and to rescue him, he's shooting his arm out, you know, because he can that do that power with his arm where he extends his arm. But he's not just extending his arm. He's extending his arm with these rungs sticking off to make a, kind of a ladder off of his, his arm. But the guy falls before he's able to grab the hand. So he jumps after the guy and flies up with the guy and they can't believe it. And. He's saying, well, what are you, who are you? What are you? This is amazing. He says, what is your name, sir? He says, just call me Machine Man. And then he says, now, unless your boots are as highly magnetized as mine, I'd avoid the cliff's edge if I were you. Goodbye, gang. And he's saying that as he's actually walking down the face of the cliff. Uh, meanwhile, we have uh, the top secret division of the governmental research facility, and we get the the backstory of how they blew up all machine man's fellow machines. He was the one who, who was able to escape that because of a scientist who liked him. That's uh Abel stack, who is a, a psychologist. And they, they also then say, well, you are going to have to destroy this, this guy. You're going to have to destroy that, that, that robot. And the main scientist guy who's involved, he doesn't want to do that machine man. Meanwhile is going off through the woods and he finds a guy who, is trying to get past a, a tree that's falling across the road. Machine Man is able to help, and the guy gives him a ride, but the guy is a psychiatrist, and as Machine Man is talking to him, he's like, I don't want you to analyze me, uh, so I'm going to get out now because they're in, a, in the middle of a traffic jam. So he puts his feet together, toe to heel, little wheels come out, and he's zipping along like he's on a skateboard. And then some police see him and they're like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. So he just flies away at supersonic speeds. Meanwhile, the army's getting ready to go get him. And he comes to a house 
and it doesn't realize that the army is wanting to attack him. The army is actually able to track him. And he, he comes to this house and it's, uh, they attack him just without warning. And this is where it's just, this is Jack Kirby power, you know? And one of the things that Jack Kirby does so well is the beaten down hero who is just doing everything he can to stand up again as he's being blasted down. And as he falls to the ground and they're getting ready to come in for the final blow, he escapes because, you know, he can't get up, but he's damaged. But you know what's undamaged? The tank treads in his arm that are able to pull him away from the army. And so then we find out in the, the letters page, that's, that's the end of the story, but he's going to go and find the guy who, you know, the psychologist, he doesn't want, or the psychiatrist rather, he doesn't want to get mixed up with a psychiatrist, but he needs help in the letters page machine mail. It it's uh, that mission statement page of, you know, that you often get in the first issue, the machine as the dude next door. And this is where basically Kirby says, here's the, what I want the machine man stories to be. This is going to be about a machine who moves in next door. And what's it like for him? It, he's, uh, it's now my job to move our machine man from his fantasy quarters to a suburban housing tract where Joe and Mabel and the kids will have to decide just how to take their new neighbor. There is no telling what sorts of trials and tribulations may arrive from such a may arise from such a meeting, but you can be as certain as this writer that it will be a very compassionate and human story. And so I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, after all, each of us has a story. Each of us is a story. And as one of us, our machine man could well have the most absorbing tale of all he's neither friend nor foe he could be a problem or a godsend some might invite him to the party while others would bar him from the club he's just another dude who happens to have a body of impenetrable armor electronic eyes and a deadly hand weapons system they could easily go into some just plain old comedy situations i mean this that that sounds like the setup for a sitcom it also sounds like the setup for an hour-long drama about a robot that goes around helping different people every week. Who knows which way they're going to take it. But, yeah, so that's Kirby continuing those threads and themes that he was building in 2001. And, frankly, I'm much happier to see it in Devil Dinosaur and in Machine Man than I am in a comic called 2001. But I'm also happy to track along with Jack Kirby a little bit more here in this series. Like I said, we'll be checking in on Machine Man and Devil Dinosaur, but not nearly with the length of what I was doing here. The primary focus of this podcast is Marvel's licensed comics. But for, like I said, since this spun out of that, we'll be checking in again. And there's other things like that with, with say, Godzilla, where they follow up on some of those strands in issues of Fantastic Four or Iron Man or something. And I'm, I'm planning to do that as well. When, if I get there, I realize this is a massive project. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to have the fortitude to finish, but I'm going to run strong as long as I can. So that brings us to the end of, of this segment. That brings us to the end of this month. Next, I'll be looking at the, uh, well, January, February, March, April, the May 1978 cover date 
comics. So until then, thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear from you if you have read any of these titles. And if you have any thoughts about these titles, uh, just go ahead and, and write into feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com or check us out on Facebook. Uh, so until next time, though, with that said, Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, Ben's Bullpen Bulletin featuring a couple of Jack Kirby comics and a sci-fi one-off issue created to capitalize on the whole Star Wars craze.